0: have your bibles you might want to be uh, just in a little bit in luke chapter 15 i'll get there but let me set this up before we get to luke 15 we're beginning a new series today called master class master class you may have seen online there's you know ted talks right or master class or all of these all of these expert talks are all over the internet that you can find an expert who will give you a you know 10-minute talk, 15-minute talk about the next biggest thing, next best thing that's going to change the world. And I saw that years ago, and I got to thinking, what if the ultimate master teacher has already given us the talks we need? And Jesus is the master teacher, right? And so what if we could learn about life, spiritual growth, and how human beings treat each other and the biggest decisions of life, what if we could learn about forgiveness or how God really feels about you or how God feels about ultra-religious people who treat people poorly? I think about all the stories Jesus told. We call them parables. Jesus has taught us much already So through the series, we'll talk about love and spiritual growth. We'll talk about gratitude. We'll, even before the series is over, talk about the most important thing you do after a sermon. But I want to learn from the master teacher. And so we're beginning a series called Master Class. I hope you'll buckle up and study along with us. I do want to mention a thank you. You were very gracious to me last week. I, uh, Marcy and I, were out of town last weekend, and so I preached, or some Yahoo preached, I don't know, uh, on the screens, right, via video, and you were very gracious with us about that. Many of you have asked. She's doing well. Thank you for for giving us the grace to be able to be away for a weekend and check her into college and get her set up and going right, and um, it's all good. It's really good. So I want to begin today with a little bit of a parable of my own. I'm going to call it the parable of the lost phone. But you could easily substitute something else in. What's the worst thing you could lose? I mean, I don't mean it in like eternal sense, like salvation, and you can't lose that. Seriously, we go really deep in here. You can't lose that. But what in this world, in this life of your things, you know, your possessions, what panics you the most when you lose it? 30 years ago, I might have said my keys. Been there, done that? Anybody? Yeah? 20 years ago, I'd have said my wallet or my credit card. I I lost a wallet in college somewhere. I think it had $100 in cash in it. Maybe somebody will find it in the next five years. Who knows? You know, like it got buried under something. Somewhere lost in a dorm somewhere. Wedding ring? Oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We've lost wedding rings too. I, I know how, you know, that's, that's painful. I think in modern times, right, certainly the last, I don't know, since... Since phones began to take over our lives, Marcia and I were talking yesterday, I think a day might be coming that we can't call these phones anymore because they're just going to take the phone component out. I'm not sure if in the future people will actually talk to each other. They'll just do this all day long. But I want to give you the parable of the lost phone. You know, when you lose something, you find out how far you're willing to go To find what needs found. You've torn apart your car looking for your wallet. You've torn apart your house looking for your keys. We've done the same with a phone. When Nicole was in late elementary school, and yes, I have permission to tell this story. When Nicole was in late elementary school, Nicole lost her phone. Hadn't seen it for quite a while. She hadn't seen it for quite a while. One day I say, hey, where's your cell phone? She's like, I don't know. I don't know. I can't find it. I'm like, when did it disappear? She's like, a few weeks ago. And so as a loving, caring, gracious, gentle dad, I gave her a good talking to about responsibility, about paying attention to your things. And this is not the only thing Nicole's ever lost over the years, right? I mean, so we tore her room apart, no phone. We tore the house apart, not literally, but no phone. We just could not find it. She said, I don't know. I'm like, when, Let's just think back. We've all done this, right? This is what everybody said. You said, I can't find my keys. What does somebody ask you? When was the last time you remember having your keys? She goes, I don't know. It's been a few weeks. I don't remember. And I said, how about next time when it disappears? We don't wait a few weeks. I know you're afraid to tell Dad. It's okay. We will find your phone. Nonetheless, she got disciplined a little bit. Wait, I'm telling a different story. Let me start this whole story over. One day, we were leaving as a family to go somewhere. I don't remember what it was. I don't remember if it was a weekend thing or, a, or a what. But we were leaving to go somewhere. And there was all the hubbub of loading the car and everything going and, and yada, yada. And Nicole was dragging a little bit. And, and I said, Nicole, come on. And she gave me... You know, a little attitude, actually a lot of attitude. And so I was looking for some kind of discipline. And so you take what's valuable, right? I took her phone, which she was very unhappy about. And we were on our way out the door. I mean, literally like loading the car in the garage, So I took her phone, and I stuck it someplace up high in the garage where she would not see it. And that didn't necessarily work out well, and she didn't particularly appreciate the discipline. And we went on with our day and did whatever we were doing that weekend. And we came home, and we went on. And two or three weeks later, I said, I haven't seen your phone in a while. Where's your phone? And she said, I don't know. I don't remember the last time I had it. It's been a few weeks. And she didn't remember that I took her phone. And you got to realize, over those few weeks, of not knowing where the phone was, which frankly turned into a few months of not knowing where the phone was. I sat her down on several occasions to have a talk about responsibility for your things. One day, we were downstairs in the house somewhere and I had an epiphany. I knew where the phone was. I said, wait, everybody. I know where the phone is. And they're like, what? And I walked into the garage, reached up onto the high shelf. Sure enough, the phone was dead, but where I left it, and I walked back in with the phone that Nicole did not lose. I did. How much, how much crow did you eat? Many- A lot of crow. In fact, the, phone, the, the, the family still likes to remind me of the story. You can see why Nicole gave me permission to tell the story. <laughs> Seriously, this was six months later. I felt awful. And I had to apologize something fierce, as you can imagine. You know, when we lose something, our response to what was lost indicates how strategic, how valuable, how treasured, how important that lost thing is to us. Agree? Again, a wedding ring. It's it's irreplaceable. We all know the panic of losing our keys, losing our wallet, losing our phone, losing our credit card, maybe losing our passport. But we all also know the joy of finding what was lost. Now, for me, there was particular joy on this occasion. Wait, 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 let me rephrase that. For Nicole, there was particular joy on this occasion for finding what. Was lost. You probably have heard these familiar stories. Let me read this to you Luke chapter 15. If you're not already there, you, you might be able to beat me there. I got to find it. Luke 15, verse 1. Now, the tax collectors and sinners, and you could, in, in, in several of the Gospels, you could almost put the word sinners in quotes, right? Because Luke, along with others, is using the word sinners to indicate what the religious types of the day would say, the bad people. Now, And tax collectors weren't particularly liked either. You might remember that. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, let me me just make sure I complete verse one. The tax collectors and the sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, so this is the the Pharisees and let's call them lawyers. But they're not just lawyers in the sense of the way we think of them. They were the experts, though, in the religious law. So they were both religious leaders and lawyers, if this sort of makes any sense. They muttered. You know what muttering is, right? Bless you. That's not muttering. muttering. That's not muttering. <laughs> muttering, right, is kind of under your breath. A little whisper, a little, little grumpiness, a yeah. little, little anger. But you're not letting it out publicly. You're just criticizing someone, you know, sort of privately. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Like, how dare. If this religious leader guy, Jesus, knew what these people were really like, if he knew who these people really were, he wouldn't associate with them. In their day, to eat with someone was a social sign of acceptance, a social sign of affirmation even, certainly a sign of intimacy. So then Jesus told them this parable, and we've got to remember the context. It's the religious types muttering about how dare Jesus love those kind of people. Which, By the way, it's never really healthy when we begin to label people as those kind of people. Suppose one of you has 100 sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Now, this line alone would have generated some controversy because some of those there would have said, yes, the good, you know, the, the good shepherd would leave the 99 to find the lost sheep. And others would say, no way. A good shepherd would protect the 99 and, and cut his losses, basically. And when he finds it, the shepherd who chases the lost sheep, he joyfully, Now I want you to notice the first time the word joy is used, and it's going to show up as a verb, which is rejoice uh, throughout the story today, but it's going to show up five, five times or more. When he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. He celebrates what's been found. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. Jesus says, I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons. Remember I told you a while ago to throw the quotes around sinners? Here, I, in the irony of Jesus speaking, I, I like to think that Jesus was using the word righteous sort of the same way. Over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Now, note for you, there's really only, in that crowd, in that moment, there's really only one person who's really righteous. It's the guy telling the story. The problem is the religious leaders, the lawyers, don't know that they're not righteous. Jesus goes on, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, what does she do? She calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. I'm sure this was not a penny. And the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Interestingly, saying there's rejoicing in heaven or rejoicing among the angels is a, a, a sort of backdoor way of saying that God rejoices over one sinner who repents. We're going we're gonna to mostly stop here, but you know the story actually continues, Right? And Jesus continued there was a man who had two sons and the younger one said to his father father give me my share of the estate and he divided his property between them you know the story of the two sons right we call it the parable of the prodigal son it's it's actually really probably the parable of the righteous father the parable of the loving father the parable of two sons who were a pain in the Because you might remember in that story, there was a religious sort of brother who thought he was so much better than the unrighteous brother. And when the unrighteous brother comes home, dad throws the party and celebrates, and the sort of right son throws a temper tantrum. We'll come back to that story in the weeks and the months ahead. But would you dare believe that when you come to Jesus, to God, that, that, that rejoicing, that throwing a party is exactly, that joy in the heart of God is exactly how Jesus, how the Father, how the Spirit feels about you when you come home, when you return to Him, when you repent of sin, when you become a follower of Jesus. So here's the one thing I'm trying to convince us of today, and I'm gonna give us some application, make sure we know how to apply this, but this is the one thing really that all of this is about, that when I find something that's been lost for a long time, surely it seems like a miracle. And indeed, when Jesus finds me, it is, it is. Now remember, in their day, There were the bad people, which was, for the religious leaders, most of them. And there were the righteous people, which was the few, the proud, the best of the best in their minds. It was them. And they were God's examples to humanity. And all the riffraff, all the outcasts, all the sinners, they just needed to... be more like the lawyers the pharisees the teachers of the law so the widow searched carefully and the shepherd searched carefully and this tells me much about jesus That think about the rescue mission jesus went on that jesus did more than search carefully for us to be found The miracle of all miracles is that Jesus came to earth seeking what was lost, and he not only searched, but he loved on those folks in spite of their sin. And he died for those folks because of their sin. And most of the people in the first century who followed Jesus weren't the better than everybody else types in fact a couple of people who were among that crowd did follow him but they did it more secretly right if we read the stories of the gospels you get guys like nicodemus or joseph joseph of arimathea who were among those pharisee types but their social standing wouldn't let them be public about their faith in jesus whereas whereas The sinners were like, this guy's the next, this guy's amazing. And that's before they ever knew he would die for their sins. So I don't want to make assumptions today. But this doesn't have to read like a fairy tale. That is though it's a myth. If you've been in sin lately in your life, you can easily talk yourself into the place where you would think, God wants nothing to do with me. That's not at all what this says. Again, I don't want to make assumptions. So how does this work? How can the lost get found? How can I be found by Jesus? I, got, I just got five simple applications for us. I'll go through them pretty quickly. Number one, I need to admit that I'm lost in need of finding. Doesn't that make sense? right so the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear jesus and the pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered this man welcomes sinners and eats with them now the sinners that were there going yeah who were the people that day who wouldn't admit they were sinners it was the religious types it was the lawyers they were better than everybody else everybody else knew that they were lost it's like duh So Jesus talks about the shepherd, right? Has a hundred sheep, loses one of them, doesn't he? Leave the ninety-nine in the open country to go after the lost sheep until he finds it. Later, he says, or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one, doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? What I'm getting at is that there's got to be moments in our life where we go, yep, that's me, I'm the lost. I'm the broken. I'm the sinner. I'm the outcast. I'm I'm the one that Jesus was love that Jesus would love when everybody else would reject them. You know, there's really honestly I think an urgency that should happen in our lives when that eye-opening experience happens and we go, "Yep, that's me. I'm broken. I'm lost. I'm hopeless." We need urgency in that moment. We've got to take advantage of that moment because your heart will eventually convince you you're not that bad. I have a friend who asked me recently, they said, I've got another friend who needs to believe in God, but they don't, and they desperately need Jesus, and I've tried to explain faith to them, and they just, it just falls on deaf ears. How do I open their eyes? How do I open their ears? And my answer was simple. I I'm sorry, but you can't. We all want that. You can pray. That's the most powerful thing you can do but you can't open their heart for them. And she said, what will it take for them to be open to Jesus? And I said, frankly, they've got to decide they're broken. They've got to hit bottom to use language we use around our world a lot today. I think about the world of AA or or just the world of addiction in general. How many times does someone who loves the addict want to save them, want to pull them out of the addiction, but they can't? Why? Everybody knows the addict is an addict except the addict. What has to happen for the addict? Yeah, they have to have a bottom. There has to be a turning point. And when that turning point comes, there's an urgency around that because your heart will sell you that you're not that bad. Your heart will work to convince you that you don't really need that help. I've got to admit that I'm lost in need of finding. Number two, I've got to believe that not only am I found, I'm also loved and treasured. Isn't that what the story's telling us? That the shepherd throws the party, that the, the, lost, the, the widow throws, the, the woman throws the party? Because they're rejoicing. That there was value in what was lost and now it's found. And and Jesus says, I tell you, there's there's more rejoicing in heaven among the angels than among you religious types when the lost get found. I need to believe that not only am I found, (laughs) that God actually loves me. Number three, we begin the journey by turning from our sins to Jesus who died for them. If you've been around the faith for a long time, this sounds like old news. But I would remind you the Bible calls this the good news. Right? It's the most relevant news ever. That we begin the journey by turning away from our sins. The, the word in the story here for turning from our sins was the word repent. When he said, one sinner who repents. Repent just means to turn around, to turn away from our sins towards Jesus who died for them. This is the starting point. The gospel says that you are God's priority, that he went so far to come on a rescue mission, searching for you, and he not only searched for you, he died for you. This is not empty talk. When Jesus told this story, there's deep meaning behind these words because he knows what his rescue mission will require when we turn to jesus and cry out i need you there's rejoicing in heaven how miraculous of course somewhere in here we have to talk about faith So I'm gonna tell you obviously that I need to trust in this Jesus I am turning to. But that said, I wanna give you one more idea of trust that I need to trust, number four, trust that I can't earn this even if I tried. I can't earn this. This is a lot of what the debate was with the religious types. All the stuck up looking down their nose folks going, you don't deserve a guy who says he's from God. And reality is when we wake up and we have an epiphany and we go, you're right, I don't because I lose my daughter's phone and I blame her for it. And I'm just as broken as everybody else. Like, (laughs) there are those who know they stink. And there are those who pretend that their stuff doesn't stink even though it does. I don't know about you, but I... I'd rather be among the community. He goes, yeah, I got a problem. Something needs to be done about it. I just need to trust that I can't earn this even if I tried. Let's not mistake repentance for being good enough or earning salvation. Repentance is turning to Jesus. It's not the work that saves us. The work that saves us is Jesus' death on the cross. And number five. Maybe you need Jesus for the first time. Maybe, maybe you responded to Jesus decades ago. But I need to live every day with a sense of urgency about the love of Jesus for other outcasts like me. With a sense of urgency. That's why we throw back-to-school bashes. So we can work to serve our community, love them in Jesus' name, show love and grace to a lot of young families, and win the right. In a society that says religious people only care about themselves. Religious people are just stuck up. We create events like today to say, no, that's not who Jesus, how Jesus' people really, really are. You know, when you lose something, it clarifies, it even brings to light, it magnifies, in a sense, the thing, the worth, the value, the priority of the thing that's lost. In the same way, Jesus said, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of angels and the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he he goes on to say there was a man who had two sons. And that story goes on. You remember in that story, there was the son who wanted to come home, but he was sort of afraid of the reception he would get when he came home. And when he came home... The the man who squandered everything, who who said, Dad, you're dead to me. I care less about you. Give me everything you owe me. And Dad did, and he squandered it all, and he lost it all. He finally says, I can't come home and be a son, but I can come home and be a servant. Dad, let me work for you. And he comes home to be a servant. Dad says, no, and don't misunderstand that. That's not saying that we don't become servants of the Lord. It is saying that we are children of the Lord. He, he receives us home as one he's been searching for, as one he loves. We're always worried about what other people will think. How did Dad think when the son came home? He he girded up his loins. I love the uh, what Warren showed us a couple of weeks ago: how to gird up your loins right? I've never seen an infographic on how to gird your loins. I am prepared now for the moment to gird my loins. He girded his loins. He ran, which was socially unacceptable, to the son, threw his arms around him, told all of his servants, like, prep the party, kill the fattened calf. It's time. This son of mine has come home. The one who wouldn't welcome him home, of course, was the older brother, who is the religious type. So let's continue to be a church that reacts as God reacts, not as the older brother reacts. And when people come home, let's celebrate with joy when the lost get found. And if you've been gone, maybe you're watching online and and maybe this is months from now and you're watching on some random Wednesday and you're going, but I don't know how it's gonna feel. I don't know how the people at church are gonna feel when I come home. The answer's in this story. They're we're, they are we, we're going to celebrate. So there's an urgency to receive the gospel because you can't guarantee that your heart will be open later in life. A lot of times we go, you know, when I reach my deathbed, like I'm going to party it up here and, and then someday I'll make that turn. You can't guarantee One, you don't know when someday is. Two, someday could be as early as today. Three, you don't know where your heart's going to be that day. There's an urgency around this. Like, just get found today. And for those of us that have made that decision already, let's return to the urgency to share the gospel, to love other outcasts just like us. When you find what's been lost, it sure seems like a miracle. Especially when it's been six months and you've got to eat a lot of crow. When Jesus finds us, it indeed is a miracle. And that's worth celebrating every time. I'm going to close this with our two prayers. Pray as we always pray to end our service. We always end with a prayer of salvation. If you need Jesus today, you can pray with me in just a moment. And we end with a prayer of application, a prayer of discipleship, really. And if you need Jesus today, you can pray this prayer of salvation with me first, and then all of us together, hopefully, we will pray this prayer of application. You good? Let's pray together. If you need salvation today, if you need to put your faith in Jesus, you need to repent of your sin, turn from your sin to Jesus. Right here, right now, you can do that. And just pray with me like this. There's nothing fancy about the words. There's nothing incantational about it. It's just communicating with God. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, that I fall short. That in many ways I am broken beyond hope on my own. And I turn from my sins to you, Jesus. I repent. And I ask you to forgive my sins, (laughs) even though I don't deserve it. And I thank you that you died on the cross for them so that I could be forgiven. I put my faith in you. I ask you to please take over my life Be my God. Give me a heart. Just like yours, Jesus. I pray in your name. Amen. If that's you and right here in the room or online, you made that decision. And for the very first time you're turning to Jesus, not only does heaven celebrate that today, we do too. And we throw big parties for things like that, right? We... We get super excited around here at Harvest. We celebrate with an event we call baptism, right? In fact, in the weeks ahead, we'll celebrate baptism again. We'd love for you to be a part of that. We rejoice. If you made that decision a long time ago, and today maybe you're realizing that your heart has drifted a little bit in the direction of the lawyers, and you wanted to turn right back to that heart that Jesus had for the lost who need found. Maybe you wanna pray this prayer of discipleship, this prayer of application with me. Dear Jesus, thank you that the lost still get found some 2,000 years later. And thank you that you still offer grace to people just like me in fact, I still need your grace, and I don't want to forget that. And so, help me to never lose my sense of urgency about your love for other outcasts in this world. Help me to never lose my sense of urgency about your love for other sinners like me. And Jesus, help us to never lose our sense of urgency for grace and for love for people who need you. Jesus, we pray again for all the people we'll come in contact today with on this back-to-school bash, and we pray for a sense of urgency in our souls. About how to love our community, how to grace our community right towards you. Jesus, show us what it means to love people like you love us every single day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, Amen. I love you guys. I love that you're the church. That welcomes outcasts like me, people who lose their daughters' phones and get up on their high horse. And, and you know, I'm a sinner just like you. And I need Jesus as much today as I do any day. I hope you've heard today he loves you. If you're watching online, he loves you too. We'd love to see you in person anytime. Of course, you know we're here on Sundays, 9, 10:45 a.m. Online at 9 a.m. I can't wait to see what God's going to do today. And whether today you're a part of the Back to School Bash or not, I can't wait to see what God's going to do in our lives this fall. Would you give it? You know, at Easter, I said, would you give it six weeks? Eight weeks, something like that. Would you give this another six, eight weeks? See how much Jesus loves you. Celebrate when the lost get found. Would you do that? It's good. Let's go with that urgency today knowing that Jesus still loves sinners, that the lost still get found. I love you guys. I'll see you, uh, well, most of you. I'll see you the rest of today, but I'll, I'll see you next week. Love you guys.